couple of weeks ago, we we looked at the the design that God has for the Holy Spirit having united with your spirit to to manifest through your spirit to both awaken your spirit but also to transform your spirit in such a way that what you begin to manifest is the very character and nature of of the image of God, but also that you are united with Christ. And so the the Christ life being formed in you begins to manifest the very character of Christ and the life of Christ in you. And this week, one one of the aspects that we're talking about is that as you serve God and others, you are to do it according to his design, how he designed you to do so. And a big part of that is that manifesting who you are in the spirit, manifesting your own spirit, is for the good of others. Listen to what 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says, to each one is given the manifestation of the spirit. So every believer has the manifestation of the spirit happening in their life, but it says it's for the common good or... In one of the a key passage, I think, for how um, our fellowship, our our companionship, our our gathering together, how it should go, it, it, that when we are together, we are to manifest His Spirit with one another. But Paul is dealing with the kind of a a chaotic situation in Corinth, where there was tremendous spiritual gifts, but not always much order or understanding of how to do this together. And so Paul's talking about the outcome of the Spirit manifesting in their midst, and he says, what is the outcome then, brother? And he says, when you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. But then he says, here is the goal. Let all things be done for edification. So, Everything that we have in the supernatural, everything that we have in the spiritual realm of gifts and manifestation of the Spirit in our lives is to bring good. God's design is that it brings good about for others, that it builds others up, that it doesn't just simply tear one another down. And so we also go back, and talked about this Sunday, we go back to the origin of God's design on the sixth day of creation, God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. So let us make mankind in our image is a revelation of your design, but it's also a revelation about the nature of God. And so the Bible is really clear that there is one God who eternally exist in three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is really the the foundational love that we have, the foundational joy that we have comes from this relationship between the three persons of the Trinity. And these three persons are forever in perfect relationship with each other. In this relationship, this community, 
of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there is absolute love, joy, and peace within the Godhead. And so the more you understand that and the more you understand that you've been brought into the inner circle of the Trinity, that you are set and united to the love they have for each other is now love they have for you, is joy that they have in loving one another and and being in relationship with one another is the joy they have in relationship with you. And it's only as what really matters to you or 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 what becomes the foundation and 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 pillar of your identity is found in your relationship with the Trinity only then can you step out of being under every circumstance you face and find yourself in a place of peace, a peace that passes all understanding because it's a peace in the face of a sinful and fallen world. So we said this throughout this series that that this community of love, absolute love, joy, and peace is how God understands himself And this is what he wants and and continues to communicate about himself concerning his nature. And so this, this vital truth is a part of your DNA. It's part of how you're designed is that since God is relational and since everything that God does is relational, he has imprinted that relational essence, that essence of being relational And that quality of being relational, he's imprinted it on us as humans. So the key thing of the whole design is to be in relationship with him and then to be in relationship with his creation. Now, it isn't that if your focus is on all the relationships, it isn't that you can't experience some love, some joy, even some peace. There are some people who, who help us experience that, but it's temporary. It's transitory. And in a sense, we are trying to draw from them what we can only draw from the Trinity because nobody's love for us on this earth is absolute. Nobody's joy is absolute. It's very circumstantially oriented. And peace is very hard to find even in good relationships. And so if you just withdraw from people so that you have peace, then you're not living according to the design. Withdrawal might be strategic for getting some perspective, but withdrawal is not life. And so being in relationship with God and drawing from him the love, the joy and the peace, then allows you to bring that love, joy and peace to whatever relationship that you're in. And one of the One of the key things is if you're looking to others and you're the broker of your own needs and you're looking to others for the love, joy, and peace that only the Trinity has for you, it will always be insufficient. Now, I mean, let's go deeper into this a little bit. There's a a book on the Trinity called Experiencing the Trinity by Daryl Johnson. So he says, at the very center of the universe... This is center of the universe is a relationship. 
He says, this is the most fundamental truth I know. At the center of the universe is a community. Everything emanates out and everything is held together in this whole universe at its center by this relationship of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's out of that relationship, that core relationship, that you and I were both created and we were redeemed. And it was for that relationship that you and I, I were created it's for it's out of it and for that relationship we were created and redeemed. This is why, in so many ways, just trying to be a moral person, just trying to keep the rules, avoid breaking the rules, is an insufficient design for your life. It is only when you begin to realize that it's all about the relationship. I, I have seen in the church many, many people who have who've said, you know, I'm not doing this and I'm doing this, you know, for serving God and stuff. But I said, but do you love God? They said, no, I just, I just want to avoid the consequences. I just want to avoid punishment. And you understand, that's not, that's not a healthy relationship with your creator, and that's not, that's not the purpose for which you were redeemed. Not just to avoid breaking the law or avoid the consequences of breaking the law, but rather to come in intimate, relationship experience in depth the absolute love the joy and the peace that the trinity lives in in every moment of every day so to be made in the image of god means that you are made to be in relationship this is the very heart of the of the gospel our good and gracious heavenly father created this world he filled it with good things Has he given us moral laws? Yes. By which to structure our lives, of course. But the aim of our creator father and the goal that he has for us is not simply to enjoy the good gifts of this life, nor is it simply to obey the laws, but to be actually to know and be known by the creator. Now, (laughs) one way to look at this is the Lord Jesus Christ had to, in obedience to the will and the plan of the Father, he had to become a curse for us. That could not have been anything that anyone has ever experienced that was harder than what Jesus had to go through. He was forsaken by the Father. He was rejected by the Father. He was left all alone. He who knew no sin had to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. But he didn't do that unwillingly. He actually did it with a very very specific emotional intent. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So though we we see the the severity and the, the... the grief that the Son of God knew that he would, he, would, he would experience on the cross when he said, Father, you know, if there's any other way to have this cup pass from me. But his, his yieldedness to the love of the Father, his yieldedness to the joy set before him says, not my will, but yours be done. So the, so the Trinity, even as the Son undergoes the worst possible Becoming a curse, separated from the Father, separated and rejected, forsaken on our behalf. 
It says he did it for the joy set before him. In other words, you cannot, in some ways, you cannot meet the challenges that are ahead if you're not rooted and grounded in the joy of the Trinity. You can't, you can't simply do the suffering or the sacrifice if you don't see that there's purpose. Even as the Son of God saw the purpose of his separation from the Father, that it would bring us who were separated from the Father back into intimate connection with the Father. And so this loving relationship of the Trinity is now offered to us as humans, as mankind, and, and, and God has always, has always designed us that that's the way it's supposed to be, this, this connection. And Jesus was willing to do whatever it took for that connection to be reestablished. And so what the Father asks of us in response is that our purpose, our fulfillment, our delight, our very life itself would flow from this center, this relationship with him. Now, that means, because this is the very nature of God, to do all things relationally, that the mission of your life, not just, you know, not just the purpose, but every assignment that you get, every mission that you're called to, to do on behalf of, of our God is a relational mission. And, and he has created us in such a way that we are to be in relationship with each other. And it's not, it is not unusual for people to look at the mission and to divorce it from the relationship. Um, I told the story on Sunday that I was in a certain country and the leaders of that country said, well, the two missionaries who came from North America began this mission with nothing but hatred towards each other and they instilled hatred in all those that followed them so that this, this one mission uh, from this one church had a division from the beginning of people who love this one missionary and people that love the other. But when the, both the missionaries left, they left cursing the people saying that they would, they would cheat on their spouses, they would steal and embezzle the money of the churches, and they would do all of these different things. Now, there are churches established by the work of these missionaries. There are people who came to faith. There are ministers who were raised up. But these missionaries... Uh, forgot the real mission. By this, you will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. I mean, this is Jesus' very straightforward teaching that the mission cannot be divorced from the relationship. To hate those that you're, you're saying are your mission or to hate those that you're on mission with is to violate the very nature of God. For never, and I know this might seem like a, a kind of complex theological truth, but the Holy Spirit did not let the Son of God come to earth and do the mission alone. He anointed him. He empowered him. He indwelt him. He filled him. 
You know, Jesus operated in a spirit-filled humanity because when Jesus said, here am I, send me to the Father, the Holy Spirit says, you're not going to do that by yourself. It was relational. And now Jesus has said, I'm not going to send you off to do the work or the mission of the Father without another. And the, uh, the, the another is one just like me, he said. It's the very spirit of Christ indwelling you. And so there's never a time in, in, in the, the way that God operates, there's never a time that the mission is divorced from the relationship. I mean, if we build a building, it's so that we can have relationships. If we organize a structure, it's so that we can have a better, more excellent relationship with each other. It's a relational thing to be on mission with Jesus. He makes this clear in all in, in his very revelation of his character, but he also makes it clear that to, to do this well is where our purpose and our design for glory flourishes. There's a man by the name of Andy Crouch, and he wrote a, a book called Culture Making. He said, God designed, God created a world designed for the flourishing of exquisitely relational creatures, male and female, who themselves are very good because they bear the image of a relational God. See, when you are when you are relating you are operating in the image of God. And the fact sometimes that you feel lonely doesn't mean you're weak. It is an expression of how, how closely aligned your life is to the life of God. You, you, you cannot flourish outside of community. This is not an accident. This is God's plan. It's so interesting, and some of this uh, comes from a, a man by the name of Mark Sayers, but he he says, what we've done in particular Western culture is we've emphasized the importance of independence. And yet the Bible's really clear, Romans 12, the, the interdependence of us on our sharing our gifts with one another. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 is talking about how it really doesn't happen at this deep level till you and I are manifesting our spiritual gifts, our spirits, with one another for the good of each other. The Bible emphasizes community. It's uh, interesting that when we come to Christ, it says, he came into his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, he gave them the rights to be called children of God. Children of God is a community, a family. So this connectedness was the intent from the beginning. We play a part in what God is doing. And this part is usually experienced in the context of community. Now, again, I go back to Mark Sayers. It's, even in the, just in the secular world, you can see how important community is. Economists talk about this community idea. They call it comparative advantage. When you and I use the gifts and the talents that God has given us to do the things we are best at doing, the whole community benefits according to this comparative advantage. Now, this is really important to understand because many people believe if they surrender to God, if they yield themselves to God, he's going to make them do what they hate doing and make them go where they never wanted to go. 
And yet the Bible is replete that you have been designed to do certain things really well. And when you do those certain things, the whole community is blessed. And you, in turn, are blessed because you're, you're doing what your, your strengths are. You're doing what your talents and your gifts are. See, all this is is actually being a steward of what God has given you. He's not going to stick you into something that you're bad at and, and, and leave you there when he's designed you for glory. So he wants you to be a steward of the glory that you possess and a steward of that glory in connection with one another. This is what God intended from the beginning. Now, sometimes we we don't fully understand what we're good at, and sometimes we have some hindrances mentally, emotionally, to what really will make us flourish. Um, When I was was a high school student, I knew I was called to to serve full-time. I knew that my calling was was vocational, that I I wanted to serve God full-time. I wanted to be in some kind of full-time service. But I remember being very afraid of thinking of coming up with talks or sermons or messages or teachings or whatever it is and standing up in front of people and, and having to deliver. And so there was hesitation. There was some fear. When I was a freshman in college, I was invited to come and speak to a Bible study of about 100 people. And I had never done that. I had not done that before. And I remember like leading up to it, being quite afraid, upset, like, God, I think I'm going to fail. I think I think I don't I don't know how to do this like I want to do this. And so I I struggled with the preparation and the night before I had fallen asleep, but about three o'clock in the morning, I was I was awakened. And as I was awakened, suddenly the points all came to me. And 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 I wrote down my outline, I wrote down what I wanted to say, needed to say, and then that night I delivered that message. Now the two things that hit me and have never left me, one is one is there is there was a way that the spirit worked in me to to prepare me for the message, but there was also a way that the Spirit used my, my talents, my, my, my intellect, my experiences, all these things all came together to give that talk. And as I was giving that talk, I felt like for the first time, I felt like breathing. I felt like this is what I was made for. And, and again, I mean, it's an 18-year-old's talk to a group of other 18, 19-year-olds. So it probably wasn't that great, but the experience of it was amazing. It just felt like it felt like breathing. It felt like what I was made for. And afterwards, people were very, um, you know, they were very encouraging. They were very uh, told me what it meant to them for me to do that, and all that. And suddenly, you see, I realized this this isn't this isn't something horrible. This is something wonderful. This isn't a chore. This is, this is life-giving. And so part of it is, is to come to understand that, that in the way God has designed you, there are things that, that he wants you to do as a steward of the gifts and the talents. And, and in doing them, not only does it 
bless the community for the community good, for the education of edification of others, but it blesses you. And the flourishing is mutual. See, when we're restored to right relationship with our Heavenly Father, it's, it's not a chore to serve. It's an expression of the best gifts and talents that we have. And then others get to experience fullness with us. And as we do this together, wholeness begins to be a reality, health, blessing, flourishing, all these things, because we're being good stewards of God's good gifts to us. And so as we do that, either as a church, as a community, as a family, we reflect the glory of God in a world that needs to find something greater than what we have at this time. But this this all really depends on understanding that in a way, you and I are never actually serving God. We're not providing what God needs, but rather we're learning to depend on and pray and steward his provision for us to walk in such a way that we're trusting him and depending on him and asking him for what we need. He never, ever tires. As a matter of fact, he is most glorified, most honored when we are asking, we are, we are praying, when we have learned that we're not, we're not really, and again, I'm, I'm being very technical here. We're not really serving him. He's serving us because we always need to find ourselves in the position of receiving. Um, there's a translation it's, uh, or a paraphrase called the Phillips version of the Bible that sometimes has some really clarifying uh, you know, words here. Listen to this. Paul's teaching about leadership here. He said, I've used myself and Apollos above as an illustration so that you might learn from what I, from what I have said about us not to assess man above his value in God's sight and may thus avoid the friction that comes from exalting one teacher against another. For who makes you different from somebody else and what have you got that was not given to you? And if anything has been given to you, why boast of it as if it were something you had achieved yourself? This is Paul's writing in 1 Corinthians 4, 7. What do you have that has not been given to you. If anything that you or I do blesses somebody else or, or uh, causes them to you know, have, have praise or, or love or, or even encouragement for you, it wasn't because you achieved that. It's because you received that. So in all the things that we do that actually have any real value and any lasting fruit or impact, it's because we have received from the Spirit something we could not have attained ourselves. I mean, there's a, there is a proper balance. We ask, He gets the glory. And so there, there's a sense in which, and I, I have seen this in my ministry, I've seen it in my own life, that many of us in serving God think that we're actually 
getting some leverage with God or we're getting some capital with God. And so therefore, serving God becomes transactional. I'm doing this so that this or that will happen. And yet the scripture is really clear that we get this, we get this backwards. That even if, I am, even if I am teaching and it's a blessing to people, it's because I received it. It's because he's gifted it to me. And all I'm doing is stewarding the gift. And definitely, if you look around, some people steward their gifts better than others and their impact and their, their, their you know, their um, um, work is so much more effective than people who steward poorly. But in both cases, it is gifting. And then it's a decision, will I steward the gift that, or gifts that God has given to me? Now, Jesus tells the story of the one who was given one, one was given five, one was given ten. And you, you know, the one who was given the one didn't steward his gift well, and it was given to the others. So we have to really take special care, in a sense, to realize that whatever we have is a gift and that as we steward that gift, we are making sure we do not rob him of his glory. Now, this might sound strange to many of us because we think of, well, let's just, we're just serving God. That's a totally positive thing. But actually, some ways that we serve God is an insult to God. Acts 17, 24 and 25 makes this clear. Now, let me put this very bluntly. Some people, the way they pray, dishonor God. This is, this is clear biblical teaching. This is clear Jesus' teaching on prayer. If you pray as a business with God or as a transaction with God, then he will not hear your prayer, Jesus said. The pagan prays, he says, and, and he thinks by the number of words and by the amount of his passion that God has to answer. And Jesus says his prayers will not be heard. He says the hypocrite prays. And he thinks, you know, in a sense that everybody should see how spiritual I am because I'm praying. And yet Jesus is basically saying the only prayer the Father honors is not the prayer of being seen by others as being spiritual or as being a leader. He says the hypocrite is someone who has no secret place of prayer, no inner prayer life. Jesus redefines hypocrisy, not, not as people who have no religious life, but who have no secret intimacy with God in prayer. And so we can dishonor God with our prayers. We can dishonor God with our service. In Acts 17, 24 and 25, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Even the breath that I have to pray out a prayer was given to me first by God, and the intellect and the understanding was given by God. And so all of the things that I would say, you know, I have achieved something or I have attained to something, all of them were gifts. And all I'm doing is stewarding the gift. This is really, I mean, this is, so powerful to each of us who, who when we sacrifice and when we do great things for God, that we not suddenly turn around and say, see, God, look how great a thing I've done for you. 
God's word to us in Psalm 50. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Verse 15 of Psalm 50, call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. See, there's a way to serve God that brings glory according to his design. But there's a way to serve God that acts as if God is little, as if he needs our service. Even Jesus says so powerfully, he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So even, even when you are serving God, he's the giver. You're the receiver. You're not a factory. You're a warehouse. You receive and you distribute. And the thing is, if we get this right, and we understand this well, then we are able to call upon him, call upon him in our good times, call upon him in our bad times, because we will ask and he will get the glory. You will get the delight of your God providing, protecting, leading the way for you, opening doors that no one can close. There's pretty much anything you can do. All things are possible. If you're just willing, that yours is the delight, but his is the glory.